And first, I want to say my thanks to Chris Jones, who serves as the coordinator for the President's Initiative on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and to each of the members of the DEI committee. You will find those listed in the program. And I especially want to thank our keynote speaker for coming to our campus today. We are honored to have Dr. Robbie Quarles as the keynote speaker and leading our discussion this day. Dr. Quarles is a dedicated higher education administrator with over a decade in um, the experience of crafting conversations and transformative experiences for students. Over the past six years, he has delivered impactful presentations and led retreats at universities and at organizations nationwide. An alum and a former staff member at West Virginia Wesleyan College, Dr. Quarles excelled as the Director of Multicultural Programs and Services. During his five-year tenure, he implemented sustainable programming for multicultural students, resulting in increased engagement, enrollment, and retention. As a first-generation college student himself, Dr. Quarles is deeply committed to facilitating the college experience, not only for students, but also for their families. And currently, he serves as the Dean of Student Affairs for South University, overseeing the Richmond and the High Point North Carolina campuses. Would you all join me in giving a very warm college welcome to Dr. Robbie Quarles. Thankful to Chris, um, who I also share an experience in our Brotherhood and Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, the fraternity of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and um, President Wood. Thank you all for having me. Um, this will hopefully not be a uh, controversial morning, um, but a morning of realization that so many of us have shared experiences, and one of the best parts about coming to West Virginia at 17 years old um, was coming without any um, preconceived notions about what the world uh, out here was like. Um, my family has seen me go through multiple commencements and presentations and things, and one of the things they always say is, it's not West Virginia, it's not Westland. These people didn't treat as well as they did in West Virginia. Because um, this, this state, did a lot of good for me and my family. So I'm always excited to come back and share experiences and hope it's a really good experience with you all today. So today's message is the context is not always in the content. It is up to me is the King Center's um, theme this year. So it's up to me. It's a very loaded theme because so many things in our life are out of our control. If it was up to me, college would be free. Food would be cheap and salaries would be plentiful. Right now, I am paying on student loans on time. Um, I put the more expensive pack of chicken down and I tell my campus president almost weekly, you don't think I deserve a raise? 
But life is life -ing. There are a million reasons why this country is the way it is, and depending on where you receive your news, they might all tell you a different answer. What I do understand is that information and history is fleeting, and it's seemingly doing a great job of being disregarded and pushed aside and recharacterized. Young people, you have a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. I equate the U.S. to my five-year-old niece when she's antsy and misbehaving. My, the first thing my mom always says is, she needs a nap. And right now, America needs its favorite blanket, a cold juice box, and a white noise machine for good measure. One of the greatest threats to the state of this country is how we take in information. News and information is synthesized and turned into 60 second reels and or peddled by media mavens and outlets with their own agenda. So this is, so this is my is up to me. Today, it's up to me to tell you that the context is not always in the content. January 24th, 1960, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. visited Charleston, he spoke at the First Baptist Church to hundreds of people crowded in every nook of that building. His trip came with a lot of fanfare and little resistance. The local paper would write, King would see the same race issues in Charleston that he had in the South, but they were also men of goodwill. That Sunday morning, King gave me a, King gave, gave me a sermon. I wasn't there. Um, King gave me a sermon, and I, I believe most black people my age would feel that was quite controversial. There'd probably be 4,000 think pieces on why this man was crazy. You would probably see more conservative news outlets posting his message saying, see, I told you. He gave a good Christian message. Forgive and love your oppressors. And specifically told young black people not to think of themselves as a good Negro doctor or a good Negro school teacher or good Negro laborers. They must compete as individuals, not as members of a race. I am positive. Dr. King knew that racism was systemic, and no matter how talented a young black person may be, there must always be a barrier that would seem almost insurmountable. Well, what would have a man who had seen so much racial injustice in the South, purely because they were black, come to West Virginia and tell those black folk to thrive in the society, even though societal perceptions told them not to? I believe that King saw some grace in West Virginia. Post Jim Crow, black West Virginians never lost the right to vote because of the second West Virginia Constitution. In coal mining communities, some black folk even gained political notoriety. West Virginia had one of the least, or one of the smoothest transitions of school desegregation, one that came without some of the violence that we saw in the South. The superintendent at the time believed that this was excellent for all students and the growth of black teachers, even if the transition was purely administrative. A year after King's speech, West Virginia Human Rights Commission was created to ensure that all establishments were providing services and resources to all people, no matter race or creed. Essentially, West Virginia has shown great promise in the efforts to at least follow the rule of law. He said to the Charleston Gazette that night before his sermon, ultimately, we seek integration. It is this true intergroup, interpersonal living, where we can sit on a bus, you sit together, and not because the law says so, but because it is right. To me, it almost sounded like Dr. King believed that there was a great possibility that West Virginia could just be a place where that synergy could, could exist. Even though the bigotry was alive and well, like most of the country, the resistance to change did not seem like a daunting task to the people of West Virginia. During my professional years in West Virginia, my job was multiculturalism. 
I was supposed to be teaching and supporting and providing students and the campus with resources and cultural exposure. What I did not expect was to be the multicultural voice for Buchanan. Um, was not in the job. Um, I had conversations about any and everything about race, from city council meetings to the Sheets parking lot. I used to train MMA, and we would sit for two hours after the workout because the guys just wanted to talk about Black Lives Matter and trans rights and talk about immigration. 85% of our conversation probably went in one ear and out the other, or they spent talking about my liberal views and why they were wrong. But occasionally, once in a while, I would get a Robbie, you know what? You're probably right. And I would say, I know. <laughs> um, I was convinced they would spend the day making up questions to ask me. And I'm not gonna lie, I used to get really excited throughout the day thinking about answers. Just picture it, this big country white man having me in an arm bar on the floor and I'm thinking about talking about white privilege. Like I was really excited about it. I would drive home and sometimes and laugh because these men secretly had a thirst for knowledge and I believe that it was genuine. I would have the same experiences with my doctor. I would wonder if his patients were irritated because my, my appointments always went over time. His attending nurse would take my vitals, he'd come in and he'd say, Robbie, your blood pressure looks great. Did you see the news yesterday? <laughs> was I on it? <laughs> Did I miss it? One, on one more occasion, we would chat and I would grab my keys and I prepared to end my appointment only to remember we didn't even actually do the medical exam. <laughs> we just talked. I was their access to a world that was unreachable in our community. From a group of men, some with college degrees and many not, to a medical doctor. Two sides of a spectrum craved a learned experience. Those interactions went against almost everything I believe about sharing information regarding marginalized communities, especially if a question had an obvious answer. If you'd ever had a conversation with me about race relations, you know, I do not believe black people should have to explain what could be easily found in the Google search. A scholarly journal could save you from a really uncomfortable conversation that no one wanted to have. When I was asked to give reflections, I knew that I wanted to talk about the way society receives and can digest information. I recently unfollowed some online blogs, but I couldn't refrain myself from correcting the poorly research of There's nothing more inhumane than targeting a marginalized community and then purposely, pur purposely providing them with misinformation. When I was researching, I was shocked that Dr. King would leave his own thoughts about this very topic when he was in the same sermon in Charleston, Dr. King said something that rings true today. He had given me the, he still gives me the greatest heartburn in his current political climate. And that is the power of information. He said, we have allowed our mentality to outrun our mortality. We have allowed our technology to outrun our theology. We are the pawns and in many cases, guided missiles of mis and misguided men. 60 plus years later, this very sentiment has reached a level that is almost untamable that we are so entrenched in being right that our approach to humanity continues to be wrong. I use Dr. King's three points in hopes that at least one part of this message uh, you received today. We, allowed to, we have allowed our mentality to outrun our mortality. I recently watched a YouTube video about Ruby Bridges, the six-year-old black girl who integrated her school in New Orleans in 1964. One of her biggest reflective pieces in this documentary was that her mom said, that <clears throat> a young man told her, my mom said I couldn't play with you. At six years old, 
she was able to rationalize that if my mom told me to stay away, I would too. She knew that that little boy wanted to play with her, that the mentality of that boy's parents stunted his curiosity. 60 years later, we actively see history like this being revenged, retwisted, and removed from curriculum. School systems telling teachers to ignore the very existence of the black people's lives. It makes me nervous because I feel like we are interpreting erasure the same way Mrs. Bridges did at six. It feels like we, we, it feels like we know that history repeats itself and we've survived this long. We are just okay to ride out the wave. How do you expect young children to learn stability when revisionist history makers characterize slaves as skilled laborers? Only 12 states in the whole entire country have mandates for black history. Even some of those states have a mandate not to talk about race in discussions. The anti-lynching bill went into effect on March 29, 2022, in the honor of Emmett Till, who was murdered because a white woman lied and said that he had whistled and offended her in 1955. His mother, Mammy Till, advocated for her child until she died in 2020, in 2003. It took a decade after his, his mother's death to pass legislation on lynching. Emmett's body was so unrecognizable that the funeral home thought it would be best to have a closed casket funeral. Mammy said, no, I want the world to see what they did to my baby. Ruby and Mammy are the perfect examples of not, of not letting your mentality outrun your mortality. Most of the country at the time had never seen anything like Emmett Till. It was printed on every newspaper and every periodical. Ruby at six even understood that your lives are taught, your, your morals are taught, and your values are taught. Mammy, who lived in Chicago and gave all people, but especially black people who weren't in the South, a first-hand look at how fragile life is for free people. These two radicals challenge a way of thinking, and young people in present day, we are still seeing same injustices that should be marred. We have allowed our technology to outrun our theology. Growing up in the era of social media, we have seen how these dangerous things are happening. There are so many times where I feel like I need to apologize to young people, and I say this like I'm not a part of a generation that is watching the world around us burn to infernal soil. I keep wondering how we fight injustices and ignorance when information and, blue, and the blueprints of our activists are being shadow banned or when it feels like politicians and leaders around us are shrugging their shoulders and making every excuse for their indiscretions. While they collect millions of dollars from dangerous and harmful entities, our bodies are at the mercies of big pharma, our water and air are being poisoned by fully regulated plants, and our very existence is at danger at schools and grocery stores and churches because of the NRA. Unverifiable information is quoted and spread by people who will get on Facebook and share posts that say, Oprah is giving away $1,000 if you share this post. <laughs> or my favorite, I actually saw this last week, January 2024, Facebook will start charging to use this app. Share this post to tell Facebook no. <laughs> Growing up, my family and I would watch Dan Rather every night <clears throat> present the news with this commanding and booming voice speaking in a cadence that sounded like poetry giving bad news. Barbara Walters herself could have given breaking news saying that aliens had been made at the earth and my family would have said, you know what, we're gonna see what Dan has to say. <laughs> when I hosted Eagle News Network, the morning announcements at Southern Middle School, I used to copy my speaking cadence because it just felt serious. Did you not want to hear today's? School lunch is mozzarella. <laughs> Green beans and fruit cup. You also couldn't tell me that I was not giving a daytime memory for that either. 
Watching the news with my family is why I fell in love with politics. Both my grandmother and mom never missed an election day. Both were election day poll workers. As a preteen and teenager, I've always felt in informed about the state of this country and our world. Now as an adult, I have to source information that legacy media has attached our lives to ratings and AdSense. Because I spend a ridiculous amount of time in the evening looking at news and reading articles, I see how news has become so fear-driven. When people are scared, they naturally seek comfort in things that make sense and things that they understand. They find these social media influencers who peddle talking points that fit the ideology. And this isn't a one-side political statement, even myself. I have to sit back and realize that I'm starting to think like someone else, and I need to start thinking for myself. <laughs> Technology has allowed people to find comfort in parasocial relationships with people they probably and will never meet. When Dr. King was delivering this message, he was speaking about Christian theology. I simply mean using good morals and using good principles. I seriously doubt when Mark created Facebook. I say Mark, like we might just go together. Um, at Harvard, his intentions were to be the greatest vessel of misinformation. Mark Zuckerberg had no idea that his simple website to, to be created just to be nosy at Harvard was going to ruin millions of family dinners. And please, and don't get me started on Twitter, Twitter had to create a fact-checking mechanism so we could make sure the news stories being reported were being reported correctly. And then the CEO of what the CEO of the website is what has to be fact checked for news. I'm terrified how we digest information. Sadly, we all don't get a chiron below us to tell our friends or family if what we're saying is true or not. I often look at conspiracy theories and I wonder how in the world do you believe this? And then I think about my relationship to the news. I watch the same news channel every single day. I was captivated by the same person delivering me information in the most matter-of-fact sounding delivery. I never felt like I needed to look for news anywhere else. Your ideology could be completely dependent on a group of people who sat on a boardroom deciding that they would not cover certain news stories and rather pay large fines because telling the truth didn't make sense. We are the pawns in many cases of guided missiles and misguided men. At 15 years old, Bart made his first oratorical contest, The Negro and the Constitution, which was the title, also the title of his speech. In his very speech, he says, we cannot have a nation orderly and sound with one group so ground down and thwarted that it's almost forced into unsocial attitudes and crime. He said, today, 13 million black sons and daughters of our forefathers continue to fight for, for the translations of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments from writing on a printed page to actuality. The summer of 2020, I was watching those words play out like a dramatic screenplay. The temperature raged so high, it seemed like nothing could cool off humanity. Each morning, the news would report the looting and broken windows and destruction. I wasn't phased by that. Deep down, I understood. I wanted people to protest more peacefully because I was afraid of the response of, of, the response of police and our government. At this point, we'd all been locked up in our homes during quarantine and become, a tick and become ticking time bombs. People were tired. We were tired of having these conversations repeatedly. We were tired of telling <clears throat> society that we were being treated differently. Gil Scott Heron's poem said, the revolution will not be televised. Yet there I was, watching a cultural shift take place before my very eyes. Watching people seek injustice, seeking justice for the murder of George Floyd was intense. 
For many of us, it was our first time seeing and or participating in a large level protest that would have systemic results no matter how it was concluded. There were so many images from that summer that if you put them up against, if you made them black and white, they would look like they were from 1960s and not from yesterday. Even after such an electric summer, the complexities of the government still moved black and brown bodies like chess pieces. In 2023, we still have states actively trying to stop black people from voting, trying to reimagine the First Amendment and historical impact. Our current administration has sworn in more black federal judges in the history of this country, has provided more money for black businesses and addressing issues with our HBCUs. But what does any of that get you? We were still policed differently. And like most Americans, today with inflation, we can't afford to do the leisurely shopping. And college is just astronomical. It puts us right back at square one. Dr. King, the son of a preacher, knew very early on that something was wrong with this country. He did not understand segregation. He saw his parents willing to help anyone that was in need. One of the stories that is prominent in making the Dr. King that we know today is that he went to get a new pair of shoes with his father, and the store clerk tried to usher them to the back of the room. Martin Sr. took his son and went home. His mother told him, even though some people make you feel bad or angry, you should not show it. You were as good as anyone else. The very sentiment that he preached in Charleston. For many people, this would have been the start of their villain story. <clears throat> I know my grandmother, who you would have met as a firecracker, if that was her, she would have undoubtedly been in prison because <clears throat> she would have flipped over every shoe that Nike 40s pay us. <laughs> For Martin, at that young age, took his mother's words and drafted the start of the movement. Our approach to humanity seems misguided as we prioritize rights over understanding each other. Dr. King's three points serve as a powerful reminder that we must reassess our priorities. Mentality outrunning our morality, like Ruby Bridges experiencing integrating schools in 1964, demonstrates how social attitudes can stunt curiosity and perpetuate ignorance. Or Mamie Till, who left her son's morality to make black people more aware and aware of the injustices more personal. Today, erasure of history and poorly regulated education exasperate that problem. We must resist the revisionist narratives that undermine the struggles of marginalized communities. Technology outruns our theology. The advent of social media has reshaped culture without proper explanation. Information is, off, is often sensationalized and influences pedal ideologies that cater to pre-existing beliefs. The shift from trusted news anchors to unverified online content has eroded our ability to discern the truth. It has caused us to make enemies with people who have common and shared experiences. Pawns and misguided men, Dr. Ken's oratorical contest speech at 15 highlighted the ongoing fight for equality. The events of the summer of 2020 sparked by the murder of George Floyd exposed systemic issues. However, despite increased awareness and positive, and positive policy changes, challenges persist, including attempt to limit voting rights and distort human and historical narratives. As we face book bans, misinformation, and political uncertainty, young people, I implore you all to recognize the power you hold as change agents and foster the power and experiences that you are learning here in college. I did my best in healthy sparring uh, when I was in college. I didn't let my single viewpoint stop me from understanding and reading and listening to what my classmates' perspectives. Even today, my political science advisor, Dr. Bobic, 
He still tagged me in my classmates and fallacy posts on Facebook, expecting us to answer at 34 years old. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Dr. King said, there comes a time when most of us take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular. But he must take it because conscience tells him it is right. The, fact might not, the facts might not always be on your side. The information presented might not fit your narrative. But we must do what's best to stop our history, our experiences, or a need to put content that is out of context. So I tell you all today, when you go and you go share your articles or you go log into your Twitter or your Facebook app, take a B, think about what you're reading, go to the URL, make sure it doesn't say like ilovecats.com and it's like reporting you know, about elections. Make sure you're taking the time to realize what you're putting out into the world because we have a lot of power in this little five-inch thing in our hands that can really harm people. So do your best to take this great D&E degree that you're gonna receive to be the better people in our community to make sure that we won't have a world of people that are at harm's way from our iPhone. Thank you.